Do you invest in ETFs? Whether you're thinking, what in the world is an ETF? Or you're looking for the next opportunity to add to your portfolio. GlobalX has you covered. From big tech to bonds and bars of gold, GlobalX offers a wide range of exchange-traded funds. Go beyond ordinary with GlobalX ETFs. Visit globalxetfs.com.au. That's globalxetfs.com.au. Are you thinking about starting your wealth-creating journey but not sure where to put your hard-earned dollars? InvestSmart can help. InvestSmart offers a free quiz that makes it easy to find the right InvestSmart ETF portfolio to help you reach your goals. Just visit investsmart.com.au and hit get started. Answer a few simple questions about your goals and how much you want to invest and you'll get a tailored statement of advice with a portfolio recommendation. You can visit investsmart.com.au for a no obligations free statement of advice. This ad is brought to you by InvestSmart Advice, AFSL 334107. Hey there, here's a quick note. This podcast contains general financial advice only. That means it's not specific to you, your needs, goals, or objectives. So don't act on the information until you've spoken with your financial advisor. You'll find our full disclosure, disclaimer, and link to our financial services guide in the show notes. Okay, Drew Meredith, welcome to this episode, this two cents episode of the Australian Investors Podcast. It's always great to be here. Yeah, Joe's just playing his music in the background. No copyright infringement intended. Um, today, we're going to be answering questions as we usually do. Uh, and we have a few little updates that we're sharing. We've got a lot of questions come through, so we'll be concise, including one from Crypto, which is spelled crypto with... Um, we're not known for marks, being right? concise. About crypto. Crypto. Anyway, so we're going to be answering your questions. If you do have a question for next week, send it in to us. Uh, you can head to any of the RASC websites and click the Ask a Question link. It's in the menu. Then select the Australian Investors Podcast. Alternatively, just follow the link in your podcast player, which you are listening to right now. Of course, I'm jo- joined by Drew Meredith, uh, Director. Is this your title Director of Wattle Partners? Seems easiest. Director, Founder, Advisor. Director, Founder, Advisor. Finance bro. <laughs> so, in joke, Drew was called a finance bro this week. And for those of you that have been playing along with us at home for a little while, I was named as one of the, the top finfluencers in the country, something that I shun. <laughs> just We're both shunning these heavily. <laughs> I would much rather finfluence over finance bro. Yeah, me too. That's just like, that is poor taste in the amount of times 10. Uh, so, anyway... Drew, the finance bro, or as he's also known- <laughs> We should cut this finance bro already. <laughs> as he's also known, Andrew Derrimuth, will be answering your questions. Um, remember when we do answer your questions today, we, un- we don't know your personal circumstances, which is one of the reasons that why we ask for a funny name. When you send in your question, you give us a silly name because it just is another step to anonymize your question and make sure that we don't know who you are because we have no idea who you are. And if you do win the prize for the best name- this week, you do have to email us. We don't know how to contact you because it's anonymous. So you have to email us and say, hey, I'm the one that asked that you question. probably should have thought about that before. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, every good game. I mean, this is, we're, we're encouraging good analyst behavior. Just go and find a contact form and that's how you get in contact with us. Um, but we do love to hear from you if you do win. So thank you. Uh, Drew, what have you been working on? Uh, pretty boring, but also exciting. We're redoing our website. Really? As everyone tends to do. Yeah. I don't and think anyone in finance is like happy with their website. Never. 
You just evolved, kind of reflecting on how much we've evolved as advisors or almost as a business at the same time. Like mm-hmm. a lot of the things we were talking about, and as everyone knows from this now, we're very focused around retirement and worked out that's what we're good at yeah. and passive income. Uh, and just looking at all the comments that we made, because the website copy is probably like 10 years old. Wow. Uh, and how much we've evolved, and you've probably seen in the last few years as well. Have I just got this on, like, I'm just on the website now. Have I got this very zoomed out or the, is the menu very small? Anyway. some work to do. <laughs> so, you can still use the forward slash contact on the Water Partners website. Much easier. But there's also a link in the show notes if you want to get in contact with Drew, Jamie, or anyone on the team. Um, the big news, though, uh, why don't we just jump to some big news, Drew, which is super caps. Yes. And- uh, Old mate who was on the of- show. <laughs> show a few weeks ago. Uh, Evan Lucas, friend of the show. You'll probably hear from him again in the coming weeks. He's not here today because he's a uh, little one sick. So uh, hopefully uh, they get better. But um, he went on, was it like ABC? Everything. He went on every everything. broadcast. And he said, they didn't go far enough. <laughs> and Drew messages me. He's like, Evan, that is it. <laughs> we're allowed to disagree occasionally. Yeah, not too negative. But- so, so $3 million mm. is the pr- proposed cap on super. No, so- not a cap. What is Very it? much not a cap. Basically, what uh, the government's saying is if you have a balance over $3 million, you will be taxed more for the portion or the proportion of your earnings that represent the balance over $3 million. That makes sense. So, if you have $4 million in super- You've got a million dollars that's taxed, the earnings from that. So, 25% of the earnings being you know, $1 million out of four will be taxed. There's a wrinkle though. Wait, wait, wait. No, wait. So, let me just clear this up. Because I haven't, I should know this. I don't. Um, I was actually, I went on the TV this week. I went Channel Nine. I heard, <laughs> yeah. And I didn't know, I didn't know what I was talking about. But that's another thing um, for another time. But um, we don't tell people. <laughs> we don't know what we were talking about on TV. <laughs> no, we do. It was, it was just how to find and consolidate your super. But I didn't know what it was until like the last minute. I was like, eh, I can talk about that anyway. So, if you have four million dollars. And you earn, say, for round figures, a 10% return. So, it's like $400,000. Yes. Does that mean $100,000 is taxed? Is that what you're saying? Yes. Okay. Broadly. So, it's so like- the, you've, you've still got your accumulation and pension component where you tax 15% on the accumulation amount. Yes. Uh, and naturally, if your pension, total Super Bowl, your pension balance is $1.7, you've got $3 million, $1.3 is in- Accumulation already being taxed at fifteen percent, so that any excess over three million will be taxed in another fifteen percent on top of that. Does that, that make sense? applies to everything. No, for the portion of the fund that is over okay. three million dollars, okay. I always do four million out of. If it's a four million dollar balance, that means it's twenty five percent of the earnings. Okay, and if that wasn't extra. wrinkly enough, you said there was another wrinkle. <laughs> there is a massive wrinkle, which came out in the fact sheet and everyone's talking about it today and whether it's even achievable, was the fact that the government wants to tax based on the change in value of your super balance from 1 July to 30 June, which essentially means they're taxing, potentially taxing you on unrealized capital gains, just because it's like saying if your investment property is worth $1.2 million this year and it was worth a million dollars last year, they're going to tax you if that was in super on the $200,000 in gain, even if you haven't sold it. That's basically like saying you can't have an unlisted asset. Exactly. Because you have to sell $200,000 worth of it. To and you have to pay tax on it. 50000 or whatever yep. it is, yeah. I don't, few, quite a few uh, people, I think the maybe SMSF Association came out and said that's going to be very challenging 
and when people understand how that works because no other part of your life are you taxed on unrealized gains. Surely, is this just all like in that let's make a big noise and then actually follow through with 10% of the big noise? I think so. I think the, like that, that, that part problem. has to change, surely. I don't, I don't think most people have a problem with taxing excess or large amounts of superannuation slightly more. You know, it's still going to be better to hold it in, in superannuation than holding it in your own name if, if you've got over $3 million yep. uh, because marginal tax rates are higher and they go up quicker, uh, whereas superannuation is flat. Um, but it's it just, the, I mean, the risk is you keep turning people away from superannuation. You keep changing the rules and people have less confidence in the system. Well, that's what I remember a few years ago. I think it was like 20, I can't remember which year, maybe the late teens. I remember I counted something like 19 changes to super or tax policy around super. And I was like, well, I'm retiring in 50 years, so I can expect about 700 <laughs> changes to tax <laughs> and super between now and retirement. So I basically came to the conclusion straight away that I need to build wealth outside super. For That's, a while, yeah. yeah. And I mean, you can do both. As an employee, you can do both. But I just realized I just have to do that. I mean, the weird thing is, I think they said it's going to raise $2 billion a year yeah. from memory if you saw the announcements. Yeah. And Which, that $2 billion is, I just, uh, for fun, I'm like, all right, how much does interest cost on government debt at the moment? Because we're worried about the deficit. $17 billion a year for interest. So you're saving $2 billion. <laughs> it doesn't, it's, it's hard to see what the, you know, long-term purpose is. Yeah, right. Well, yeah. Well, they should also cap rents and what was the other thing that someone proposed in the opposition? CGT. Like, oh, just yeah. some crazy stuff going around. Fundamental flaws in economics. I think you need to rethink of most of the taxation law, but that'll never happen. No. No, we can't even We're make in. modest changes to financial advice. So, um, what else have you been working on? Anything interesting? Oh, did you see the GDP result came out this week? No. What does that mean? <laughs> I'm just like living under a rock over here, man. I'm just trying to like keep my head above water. Just trying to put on this new hoodie, man. We don't let Owen out of the podcast room in the office. <laughs> we lock the door, put some water in. <laughs> just slide some fish heads through the door and I just eat them. <laughs> You did walk in with a crepe this morning. Yeah, I so did I eat was... a crepe, but it was delicious from Flinders Lane, if you're interested. <laughs> no, uh, well, uh, this is, uh, you know what I'm all about, interest rates. Yes. Oh, here we go. <laughs> we can use it. What, tell us, what's, what's the latest Andrew Derrimuth crossing here? <laughs> well, you came out with GDP growth this week, and surprise, surprise, the last quarter of last year, growth was slower than expected. It was 05 the economy, the Australian economy grew at 0.5% for the mm -hmm. quarter. Everyone was expecting 0.7, so slightly slower naturally. Uh, over the 12-month growth was 2.7. If you think about where we've been, pandemic, massive amount of spending, and then it's settling down at about 2.7%. It's not you know, excessive growth, mm -hmm. but the fact that it's coming down lower than forecast. And then similarly, the saving rate, which you probably talk about quite a bit as well, mm. dropped from 7.1% last quarter to just 4.5% this quarter. I always think that's going to be the biggest thing for the RBA to look at. I just yeah. feel like, I know there's a bunch of other stuff, but I feel like if you, that's kind of like how are people actually going. Exactly. Because it, that, that, got, that hit a record in the- um, It was like over 20%, yeah, wasn't it? Yeah, during COVID. People were saving so much money, hence all the European holidays, hence all the caravans you see, and hence all the used cars getting bought up as well. And now it's come smashing back down to 4.5, which I believe is below the long-term average. I yeah, it's close 10%. to trend, I reckon, at yeah. 4.5. Yeah, yeah, right. So there you go. We are pew. And then it becomes no savings. Exactly, yes. And then, and then and people, dipping into it. Yeah. And then people 
are really in strife. And you're seeing the pressure, like energy prices, the price of you're filling up your, your car if you're driving to work, um, energy prices going up, grocery prices going up. Every And every company in reporting season, there's a nice segue, uh, mm. is passing a significant amount of cost onto customers. They're not they're not letting yeah. their margin shrink, most of them. They're, they're um, trying to maintain their margin. So that's what you're seeing around is being converted into hard data. And that was December. So if you think how much it's changed in the last two months. I think it's got a lot worse in the last yeah. two months just talking to people. Yeah. That, I mean, that's my own little bubble. But City's full. City is full. People yeah. are still spending, going out. Yeah. Chin Chin is full. <laughs> Every day. <laughs> Every day. But maybe that's the exception. But um, yeah, I, th- th- that's it. I'm hearing a lot of pain. But you know where I'm also hearing it from, which is probably the most concerning that I've come across, is business. Yeah. Businesses are really starting to feel a pinch. Because I know there's a lot of talk in the media about like, oh, you know, profits are causing inflation. Oh, my gosh. Um, so that's what I've been hearing a lot. Right, right-wing <laughs> capitalist, Owen. Yeah. Good on you. So <laughs> get back in there. So um, no, I've been I've been thinking, like I've been seeing a lot of small businesses really struggling. Yeah. They're the ones that have those finance deals that are not healthy. And Probably rent arrears still from, yep. if it's cafes and restaurants, rent arrears back from the last few years still. And they've got their interest cliffs as well. Uh, so, you know, there's a lot of stress going on and um, it doesn't take long for these businesses to start laying people off and then trying to turn that around is very difficult. Anyway, uh, we did have a question come through. I'm interested uh, in your thoughts. There was a question, I believe, and we've got about a gazillion, so I've lost it, uh, about a reporting season and if anything's stuck out. Uh, Drew, any lowlights or highlights from reporting season now that we are on the back end of this, February is done and dusted. I mean, maybe before you get, just have a quick think of yours. Maybe what I will say is that there were uh, a few common threads. Companies are making up gibberish. That's what I'd say is the first thing. So they're just putting letters and it's like alphabet soup. Chat GPT. And they're just, you know, maybe, they're just like um, but underlying EBITDA. And it just goes across <laughs> oh, the there's so many. <laughs> so many letters. I don't like, I don't know what kind of accounting standard that is. Uh, so that's the first thing. Second thing is uh, pretty good results from some companies, but even those that had pretty strong results were quite cautious yep. uh, in their forward outlooks. Um, the other thing is I saw some data on this that, the ASX companies that didn't meet analyst guidance were sold off far harder Massively, yeah. this reporting season compared to the average over time. But also those that exceeded analyst guidance didn't go up nearly as much as the long-term average yep. in response to that. So I think that just tells you that as a whole, stock market seems quite pessimistic. Yeah, and heaps more dispersion than, than ever. Yeah, I think like you saw Downer drop twenty five percent, Domino's drop twenty five percent, which six dollar pizzas were supposed to be you know flying out recession there. proof, mate. Yeah, Not exactly. Really. Yeah, but there were quite a few. I think there were quite a few lowlights, but it's more about the share price reaction on the day, isn't it? That that stands out as a lowlight, whether it's the actual financials. Uh, we got a couple of boring stocks in our portfolio that did exceptionally well. Um, Cube Holdings. Yeah, I don't even like, know what that does. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> vertically integrated. Ports, transport, distribution. So owns part of the Patrick Terminals and he's benefiting from like Steve Doring, which is, you know, the moving of mm-hmm. uh, shipping containers yep. and, and you know, getting things on and off uh, ships. Uh, that's what shipping containers go on. Um, Is it, <laughs> <isn't> <laughs> or in paddocks, whichever have you. <laughs> Just love how you have such a grasp on the English language. <laughs> also, <laughs> Steve Doring. 
Who came Steve up with Doring. that? Steve <laughs> Doring. Was it Steve that originally came up with that? Like, oh, it's called Steve Doring. <laughs> anyway, so but they had a smashing result. I think they were up to about eight eight percent on the day for a boring kind of staple company that is essentially just clipping a ticket on things that are coming in and out of the country. But they had yeah. exports of grain, exports of commodities, exports or imports of cars, and just saw a much stronger than expected period. Even though everywhere you looked, you know, you kind of see this trend occurring with people spending up so that was a highlight probably um west farmers and macquarie yeah. always pretty good macquarie's they're, they're probably the shamara is probably the most conservative ceo i've seen in terms of always warning that things could be worse <laughs> but somehow their business just balances each other each business balances the other one out quite well so pretty mm. solid result and apart from catch of the day west farmers looked yeah, pretty, pretty good. good. Yeah, pretty good. Uh, the Kmart, like reopening and all that sort of stuff, was big. Um, dog Bunnings, food. Bunnings, yeah, dog food, according to Drew. Um, so, yeah, pretty good, pretty strong result. Uh, and your favorite? Well, or least I, favorite? I, I totally own Prometicus, so that would be my favorite. It was a super strong result. Everything was up and to the right. Um, NetWorlds was a good result, but the outlook was uncertain. I think it left more questions than answers for a lot of the analysts, which you'd probably expect in this environment. Um, Hub's result, competitor of net wealth, very good, yep. uh, boosted by class. So that was a really good result. Um, I mean, there were some shockers. There were some shockers. I was telling you about one before. I spoke briefly about last night on Self Wealth Live, sponsor of the show. Thank you. Um, they. Not my favorite. No, this is a. I'll get to that one in a second. <laughs> They're a tiny, tiny little uh, company that uh, is a technology company uh, voluntarily suspended itself couldn't get it audit, its audited results up, then announced a restructure by the outgoing chair who will be going back to the investment bank that I, I believe IPO'd the company and that will be now doing the restructure of the company. No comment. <laughs> no comment. And continuing on, so Dubbo's results weren't that great. But it does kind of remind you of the the issues and what to be aware of in the smaller cap space, particularly, oh, yeah. was it a healthcare biotech? No. Or is it? It's a, no. it's a straight up normal tech, tech company. Tech yeah. company. But those it's are, I mean. Risk yeah. management, market changes, trends change, cost of capital changes, and it's, you know, management when you're in those. changes. Yeah. yeah. You can't rely. I think someone's got a question around that as well. You don't want to rely on kind of moonshots for your, for your compounding all the time. No, no, no. And that's why we say do it like in a segregated account, like that's off to the side. Um, yeah, Dubba's results also entered the restructuring. I think, you know, the, the cash outflows were in the 20 millions of cash outflow, which is about the same they've got in the bank. Yeah. And revenue went backwards. So, with costs going straight up. Did they do something like ChatGPT has just issued with Microsoft? They do something called Dubber Notes, which is like analytics um, and like notes that run over the top of, say, like a, a meeting that you might have. It can produce notes. And they do like sentiment analysis of discussions. So, it's not really... I'm sure someone out there has like so they plugged, just an in, a, yeah. plugked an API into ChatGPT that could do something like this. They just released it. It takes oh, to-do lists, notes, minutes... And action points out of meetings automatically oh, well, via Teams. Well, that's, yeah, straight up double notes, I'm pretty sure. So, yeah. there's that. Um, but then there's the other part of Dubba's core business, which is like call recording and compliance, which is a bit more robust, I think. Yeah. That's not something that can be, at least right now, replicated by that sort of technology. Um, <clears throat> yeah, but they're doing a restructuring. And I don't think I'm going to say much more on this business for the rest of maybe 2023 
because I don't necessarily think anymore it's my place to kind of say these things. Um, but we can keep talking about Zip. We can talk about Zip all you want, <laughs> Andrew, because, um, yeah, I mean, th- th- this is the thing, right? My purpose of talking about companies in a critical light is never, I never short companies, I never profit from them, ever. I've never once done that. Um, but it's just to try and help people decipher some of the things that might go on. Yeah. And so mm-hmm. just trying to kind of keep everyone abreast of that. Um, but I think now... It's kind of said and done. It's hard to know what everything that's going on in a smaller company. And a lot of the time you think, as it's ASX listed, it's this ridiculously well professionally managed group. And that's not just for that company, but multitude. There's 1,800 companies listed well, yeah. on the ASX. So, And you've got to, sometimes you've got to forgive management too, because we don't all have a crystal ball, right? So sometimes when we look at companies and we look into the future, we don't know what's around the corner. Like I did. I overcapitalized in our business. I spent too much. We recorded a loss last year. Like these things happen. Yeah. Right. Um, and not everyone has that foresight. So that's fine. But you just got to remember that uh, that small caps can be risky. Unprofitable companies, very risky. So Zipco, speaking of, did have one heck of a result, Drew. Um, it's, <laughs> it, it's, it's a business which we've spoken about on and off for quite a long time. I think the whole buy now, pay later sector has been in like a world of pain just because they've been unprofitable but then you become more unprofitable when interest rates go up and just as an illustration revenue up 19 percent to 351 million uh this is for the half year loss of 242 million (laughs) so the loss was it's on its way to being as much as the (laughs) The revenue revenue. (laughs) Uh, it's not all cash loss well that's true yeah is it uh no i think when i was trying to just uh, get into the weeds on the cash flow statement. It, I mean, Tech, technology write downs, reducing the value of some assets, probably. So but ca- a big chunk would be bad loans. Operating cash flow, 226 million outflow, 23 million outflow from investing cash flows. So it's about the same yeah. as the reported net loss. Yeah. But they did borrow, um, based on my very rough guesstimate here, they did borrow about. A couple hundred million. Yeah. So maybe they're able to facilitate lending through that. Yep. Cash in the bank. Cash. Uh, um, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, segueing to another company, uh, PointsBet came out yesterday. $2.67 billion of debt. <laughs> it's, uh, yeah, it's a complicated business <laughs> and suited to a different type of market. And maybe it'll become more popular now that the savings rate's quite low, but it's probably looking quite challenging as a lender. Uh, I, mean, buy, I think most, a lot of people still use buy now, pay later. Oh, yeah. I was in a furniture retailer this week and they said zip, hum, and afterpay. <laughs> yep. Or so, PayPal. Yeah. But the, the, he, I was just like, what are your three most popular? Oh, yeah. He's like, hum first, which is interesting, yeah. afterpay, and zip. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I think there's still, I mean, it's just like labor, which everyone, the, I mean, the skeptics <laughs> just called it labor at the beginning. You get the product and then you pay for it. It's yeah. just another version of labor. And <laughs> sorry, <laughs> not the company. <laughs> Thesis playing out. <laughs> well, I traded it, so I, I don't feel too bad about it. I, I couldn't feel much worse. Um, but there was an interesting one that came up, okay. which was points bet. Oh, yeah. Another darling in uh, that's in, the Shaquille in, O'Neal. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> pandemic times when Shaq came over and 
yeah, talked about. Uh, let's leave that alone. We don't <laughs> go politics here. Um, share price dollar forty four got as high as about ten bucks in the peak of it, and now this is a company that's trying to break into the U.S. market, so spending money hand after over fist over you know over fist. Uh, but interestingly, someone said they have about 400 or 380 million in cash and their market cap's only 450 million. Like, how does that happen as an analyst? Are you, are you asking me for a professional yes. opinion? Well, it's because, so here's the thing. <clears throat> People would go like, and they go, Ben Graham on me, and they're like, ooh, market cap, you get this for free. The problem is that works both ways. So if you have 400 million cash and you got a $400 million business, you could have like a big debt pile. Massive but, loss, yeah. But also- <laughs> You can't just like up and leave your office. You've still got a lease liability that could extend for years. Employees need compensation if they get, you know, shown the door. And so there's a, yeah, I mean, maybe it's a value. A lot of these things could bounce off the bottom. If that's your strategy, like, they could bounce off the bottom. I'm just having a quick glance at the old uh, statement of financial position. Don't look at it. Okay, so revenue- I don't hold shares in this either, so it's- Revenue up. They did make a gross profit. I've heard of businesses making a gross loss and scaling. Which I don't know how that works. Um, so cash, three hundred eighty-seven million, uh, and debt. Just a quick eyeball here: eighty-one million of financial liabilities, and lease liabilities of twelve million. Oh, and there's an actual other current liabilities of fifty-eight million. This cash is dwindling, Drew. Um, <laughs> cash outflow for the period of one hundred and three million. That's just from operating cash. Free cash flow outflow is a really rough rule of thumb: one hundred and thirty-four million. And that's why. <laughs> that's but that's like the yeah, learning about why. when you're investing just because it looks like they have cash they've got a lot of expenses coming up every quarter not saying they're going to run out but most of these companies that are scaling and investing heavily are being subsidized somewhere and it's by capital yeah um so it's it's not always as simple as looking at how much cash is on the balance sheet yeah and this like a lot of these businesses could turn around like i wouldn't underestimate anyone uh, any business from evolving and adapting people just think that companies like shards of glass if they crack they're broken yeah but they can actually like mold and and whatever and fit the, the environment a bit so there's a perfect example is that? someone just became the richest man or richest person in the world again this week who's that Mr. Musk. Mr. Musk. Elon Musk yes. on the way back up. What has he done now? Well, his share price is up 90% in January. Or in, sorry, in 2023. Damn. I've been referring to 2023 as 2022 several times this oh, week. Oh, it is. It's up 87.6% at the time of recording. It's a $635 yeah. billion dollar company. So, it was being laughed at prior to Christmas when he bought Twitter. And now he's once again, the share price up at 90% in less than three months, two months in total. Why do you think, like, what what, uh, what drives that? It's just markets, money flows, and sentiment, and you see it everywhere in these kind of companies. Um, you know, everyone's off technology for a period of time, but then real data comes through, or we remember that, you know, we're, you know, EVs are the, are the future, or sales are improving, or um, it's just markets are heavily emotional. They always are. Mm. And, yeah, you know, same. you'd hate to be... This is why you don't want to be driven by day-to-day movements in the markets because you would easily have sold Tesla in December if you are worried because it sounded like it was worthless the way people were talking about it. Well, Meta's up 40%. Exactly. Yeah. That's good returns from a yeah. short period of time. Yeah, well. If you didn't hold them beforehand. So, <laughs> sentiment analysis, people, like there's like, it basically looks like 
tech stocks are back on. <laughs> Generally, yes, <laughs> which is the opposite. A lot of people are, uh, you know, allocating to value and cyclicals at the moment. And you almost, you don't want to be contrarian or always counter cyclical. You just want to have a, we call, we call it portfolio resilience, where you're not subject to the ebbs and flows. You're not subject to materials going up or tech going up all the mm. time. You just got, you're exposed to both. Yeah, we, uh, we have, um, uh, we had uh, Nathan Bell from Intelligent Investor on the show yesterday and he was saying that you basically got to make a choice. Do you go value stocks and just try and minimize volatility or do you go really high quality stocks and just accept that there's probably more downside? Yeah. You know, that's a choice you got to make. Personally, I'm of the opinion that I can write out short-term volatility. It yeah. doesn't bother me really at all. So for me, it's more of a quality play. Yeah. That's how I think anyway. I still want really high quality. It doesn't mean that, like I don't want to overpay for them, but. That's where I'm kind of opting uh, to go. Okay, so we've got some great questions. Uh, wonderful questions sent in. <clears throat> I'm going to, just in the interest of time, I'm going to paraphrase this because we're actually 27 minutes in. Concise podcast is the title of this one. So uh, Meredith writes in and says, gives us some info, which I'll skip over quickly, and says, I have a colonial first state fund. Uh, it's Australian share fund uh, and had it for almost 15 years. I've never really thought too much about my current investment until a few weeks ago. Well, I've started to become more interested in investing and trying to understand the managed fund I'd had. I've stumbled, stumbled, I've stumbled and found your podcast and been doing a lot of research. Maybe one of those stickers were on the ground. And when they, <laughs> anyway, so <laughs> I've been thinking of pulling out all or half of the portion of my investment into an ETF, um, and the current. And focus on the current VDHD ETF is basically the question, like, is that a wise decision? And my response to that before we get to Drew is basically like, when I was told once upon a time, and I thought it was crazy at the time when I thought about it, is that at any one day when you wake up and you look at your investment portfolio, you have a choice whether you sell or whether you buy more. And therefore, basically, the only decision that you are doing every day, if you hold it, is you're still buying. You're effectively still holding it. And so... Um, you want to make sure at any one time, the, the message is this, that you have a portfolio that reflects your strategy. Yeah. And so there's no point just say, us saying, buy it, sell it, don't do this, don't do that. Because maybe that particular type of fund is in your strategy. But if it's not, then yeah, maybe that's maybe that's the way you go. You've got to start with strategy and, and all those types of things. That's probably where I'd go. Yeah, I think I'm also always wary of education on these sort of things too. So if you're invested into a managed fund, similar to an ETF, you're going to have to pay out all the distributions every year. So it's probably sitting in a bank account and you said you've started, um, if it, it can feel like, the, like if a managed fund's working properly, that the value doesn't go anywhere mm. because they're actively trading, there's capital gains and income coming out. So it could just track sideways and you're getting cash coming out of it. Um, and I think that's why reinvesting, whether it's in that or in something else, is an, a valuable part of the process because you're Letting yeah. the compounding rather than the compounding coming out. Other than the mental accounting of thinking that money just appearing DRPs. in the account is whatever. <laughs> DRPs. Yeah. But yeah, you can. So a lot of people will just get that small dividend and they think, nah, it's not, you know, it's not worth anything or whatever. Um, but really that's real money. And yeah, that, exactly. should be, that should count towards your long-term return. I think that's a great question. A lot of people have that. But it basically just comes back to strategy. We can't really answer the question because we don't know. But as a general rule, yes, low cost long-term focused ETFs like VDHG, like the ETFs you get from BlackRock or BetaShares or whoever you go through. Sure, I'm a fan of those. Um, yeah, fees are important. Yeah. And then not not commenting on that particular fund, but always look at the benchmarks and look at the fees compared to the alternatives. Yeah, fees compared to the alternatives, look at the benchmarks. Is it underperforming over a period of time? Don't just look at the last 12 months, but over time is how 
bad is it? Um, Baby Buffett says, <clears throat> we just had our first child. He is less than a week old and want to get him compounding ASAP. I mean, you've taken so long to do it. Like, come on. You haven't done it already? <laughs> um, I have looked at setting up a miners account on CMC Markets, but I'm not entirely clear on how the tax for children works. The rate seems insanely high. Drew, over to you. Are we keep it simple, stupid is the kiss. old the kiss principle. Yeah, children's tax rates are in- incredibly high. I think yeah. <clears throat> if you've got an income over five or six hundred dollars, it goes to like sixty percent. Yeah. So most of the time, our clients will either hold it in their own name or hold it in their own name as trustee for the child. Mm-hmm. Uh, means you don't have to get a TFN for a seven week, seven day old <laughs> yep. child. Uh, but you're still the issue. Only issue there is you are personally taxed as the trustee of that asset for any income and capital gains that come off it. Yeah, your broker will have information on the website. I'm sure CMC Markets would have this, but Selfwealth, Perlast, Comsec, all those have information. Basically, you hold the shares as if they're in your legal name. So you're taxed, you're done all that, but it's a benefit. So you're holding it for the benefit of a child. So when they turn of legal age and you or you just want to transfer it to them, if your accountant sets it up right, so you get proper advice on this, um, if your accountant sets it up right, the idea at least should be that the capital gains tax is minimised. Exactly. Well, there's none at all. It's just transferred straight across because it's still in there for their benefit. There's no beneficial change. But, um, I mean, there are a few things here. Children can't own shares. So, that's the that's the way to do it. And when we say trust, hold it on trust for your children. We're not saying that you have to go and set up a trust. Yep. It's just a piece of paper and your broker should have information on that. Great question. We get a lot of questions on that, Baby Buffett. So, maybe it is the next Baby Buffett. Maybe Never. we just compounding gave the now, first yeah. piece of investment advice. A million percent compounding return, maybe. Oh, my Lord. We'll be long gone by then. <laughs> so, uh, uh, did, I don't know if this next one is a question or- a, Well, they say not really a question, but you are flat earthers, <laughs> says, listening to the episode on 18th of February and your reference to the extra payment of- Paying home loans fortnightly versus monthly. In my opinion, that is one of the worst understood vague statements. In fact, I have an argument with my bank, big bank employee outside a pub one night about it. <laughs> Ties payments to your payments, not a vague rule that doesn't hold except for specific scenarios. I know not an investment focus, but for me to highlight why you should work the numbers yourself and check the vague general statements and make sure they hold for you. I don't actually know exactly what is going on in this comment. <laughs> I was so, you probably saw I was moderating a masterclass today. <laughs> yes. And uh, I think two thirds of the Q&A yeah. were statements. <laughs> yeah, okay. So, <laughs> I think this is one of those yeah. flat earthers. <laughs> Definitely got it through. <laughs> this one's come through. I love it when they uh, come through. And I was, I was curating this week's questions or statements, I should say. But I think this is fair enough. Like, yeah, so the idea is that you pay more if you pay your mortgage, you know, every fortnight as opposed to every month, the idea is you're paying more. Yeah. So, yes, it could hurt if you're paid monthly and you have to pay more. But if you are fortnightly paid, maybe it's not as bad. So, decent statement. Um, not bad. Go long or go home says, do you think there is a role for low-cost ETFs in a core portfolio instead of ETFs or in combination with ETFs? I look at some licks like AFI and BKI. True. So Australian Foundation and BKI Investments. Yeah. 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 I think it depends on. Oh. <laughs> Wait. <laughs> <laughs> well, it depends on your strategy, but they're you know they're reasonable products for people looking for 
you know, looking to achieve certain objectives. Listed what investment you, what companies. Would you do that for? I feel like listed investment companies are better suited to that streaming of and consistency Frank of dividends. And all that sort of yeah, stuff. we've talked about it separately. That they they can tend to be very limited in their ability to move and evolve, so they become a quasi index fund, but tend to can have their own biases built into it because of the capital gains tax that's inherent inside the holdings. Exactly, um, and I think, but in our view, when you're building a portfolio, you can consider every option depending on mm. what your objective is. So we'd look at a direct stock versus a ETF versus a managed fund and find out what was the best expression of that investment we wanted. Looking, if I just want an ASX exposure, I'm more likely to go and get. IOZ or an ASX 200 yep. than buying a listed investment company which has a similar exposure but tends to be higher top weighted in the top 10 more so than than mm. the index itself. Yeah. Um, and you've got the risk of premiums and discounts on the LEC, LI, LICs. Most of it was an LEC though. <laughs> I like this, mate. Uh, good advice. And I would go just what Drew said. Uh, there's really not much <laughs> extra to add. I'd say that some of the licks are so low cost um, that the priority for you would be basically comparing it to an ETF. They are very different in the way these things are, the fees are paid. So one is a company, one is a trust. But I think at the same time, some of those, like the big ones you mentioned here, basically are designed for franking credit streaming. Yeah, exactly. Probably say. better suited to older yeah. or passive in- income, income drawing people. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Mark Twain, the Mark Twain says... Uh, interesting episode on the 14th of the 1st. A lot of dates in here. I was thinking of investing in a property but going principal and interest and also doing it in a location that I might one day want to retire, thereby blurring the lines of investment and lifestyle. Sorry, but still following the, quote, buy land, they're not making it anymore, end quote, ideal. High-level thoughts. You're not alone. Pretty much everyone blurs the lines between investment and lifestyle at some point. Yep. They'll say their best investment was their house. But technically, they've been living it the whole time. So, yep. uh, I think... Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So true. You're going, through this, <laughs> <laughs> You're going through this period now where people are realizing the property doesn't always go up. So, there's this... We've talked about it before where, you know, mm-hmm. and I, I think a couple of other people as well, um, yep. that there's this assumption that just buy property and you make 7% per annum yeah, sure, every right. year. Uh, but I think broadly... You buy stuff with land rather than a, you know, something that has no physical attributes apart from walls. Um, it, it tends to make sense, uh, and it wouldn't surprise me. You know, very long term, we've talked about it many times in the office, that interest rates are having a massive negative impact on affordability. Harder to get credit. You can borrow less. At the same time, you're seeing construction companies start to slow down construction, which is probably exacerbating what's already a shortage of housing in Australia, particularly mm. given our history of immigration. Yep, absolutely. Hey, check out the Australian Property Podcast, Mark Twain. It's a podcast that uh, we are about to launch. Just bought it. So credit to you. Credit. <laughs> oh, uh, so yeah. <laughs> well, there was more of a debit. I think that's the way I'm thinking about it. So, um, so credit but, to them. <laughs> credit to them. So, Mark Twain, the Australian Property Podcast will be hosted by some absolute guns, who I will name in the next week. But you can go and check that out in your. Your podcast player, if you've got it open right now, you can pause this. Australian property podcast. Pretty straightforward. Anyway, so I don't think I have a problem uh, with principal and interest, to be honest. I think that's fine. I think that a lot of... There's a misconception that if it's an investment, it should be interest only. I don't think so. I don't think it needs to be. I'm sure your repayments will be higher and you're adding leverage to your life. So that's what I would say. Um, What are you going to do between now and then? There are holding costs. 
I don't... This is the old... The property debate is more nuanced than the stock debate, I think, in this regard, because there are markets within markets. There are literally streets within towns, within cities, within states. Yeah. And we just don't know. So it could be a great investment, even in a really challenging market. But generally speaking, the consensus view is that if interest rates stay at these levels, property is going to have a very hard time over the next 10 years as a whole. Yeah, broadly. Yeah, yeah broadly. But this house, Mark Twain, could be fantastic. You could write some really great scripture in there and people go and buy it for its historical benefits. Who knows? So, um, who knows what goes on in there? The key is probably still sensitive to interest rates. Property, you know, absolutely. if you saw interest rates halve again, well, you're probably going to do well in property. Oh, absolutely. Imagine the bounce back. Yeah. The property brigade will be back in action. Um, but yeah, so no, no, we all blur the lines between lifestyle and whatever. So, uh, how much for a goodish spleen? <laughs> says, are trusts worth using for property flipping? We're getting a lot of property questions. We should just rename this the, one the, as the Australian property, property <laughs> podcast. So, are trusts worth using for property flipping? I would just say, go and check out the Australian property podcast, which launches <laughs> within the next month, because uh, one of the guys that's on there is an accountant, one of them is a mortgage broker, and the other one is one of Australia's top buyers agents. So, we'll be able to answer this question there. Drew? To you. I think a good reminder. So you're saying a trust would be a family trust? Yeah. Uh, so. Yeah. A family trust is essentially a streaming mechanism for income and capital gains. So yeah. you're able to, it's called a discretionary family trust, which means the trustee being yourself has the discretion to determine where income or capital gains are paid. Um, it's beneficial for investments because it allows you to determine who you potentially split income from an asset between yourself, your partner, your kids if they're old enough. Mm. Um, but broadly, it's not it's not going to significantly reduce or delay tax. You just allow you just got the ability to split it. Interestingly, uh, f- someone that I know, uh, the so there was a younger fellow who was around my age. He bought a property, and um, I didn't realize, but that that money that he used as a deposit was actually in the family trust. Yeah, and they bought the property with the family trust. So that he wouldn't have to use for that first investment property, the first home buyer's scheme. He wouldn't lose that on his primary residence later on when he bought another house. So even though the family trust acquired the the property, the the young fellow was then able to go on the second, effectively the second house, because the family bought the first one. Yeah. Quotes, um, he was able to go and use the first home buyer's uh, grant yeah. to buy a more meaningful property for himself. You usually have land tax kick in quicker. Yeah. On a family trust versus holding it directly. I would imagine. From so. memory. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. But, but it's, yeah, streaming income like for any investment. Uh, you can't, your capital gains don't sit in there. All income has to be distributed every year. So it's not going to stay there for long. It just comes straight out. Yeah. Which is one of the. Which it's which is okay. If you if one of the partners earns less, significantly less, or if not working, then it, may, it, it can be positive. Send the cashola across to them. Exactly. So overwhelmed says. Uh, just starting out 28 years, but feel like I've left it too late. Absolutely. Give up now. Uh, we have a mortgage combined income of 230K a year and a couple of kids. Okay. That's a lot of info. Well, I one's younger than Frank and Credits. So. <laughs> yeah. So we're, you're even younger than Frank and Credits too. This is fantastic. So any suggestions? We've been using Vanguard and buying our favorite companies. Probably not the best strategy. Um, so we're, we're going to answer this generally. And I would say that basically, I don't really have an opinion because it's all kind of I think if you're young, you're investing, you seem to have found your way to a Vanguard fund. Like that's what a lot of our community seems to want to do. And an income, a household income of 230K a year is 
cracking. It's fantastic. Definitely. So this would probably be the gold standard, I think, personally. I don't know. I don't know if you have anything else. You're having a crack. You know, well done. Got started. Yeah. Uh, the 28 is not old. Lifestyle right That's is pretty fantastic. good. I wish I had made these decisions earlier. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Not later on. But um, I think the probably the key is just not overstretching yourself at any point that, that you get too restricted and have less options. Um, so, so you just true. keep plugging away. I think, and Jamie's a big fan of saying this, is just like the easiest way to not grow wealth is just make the obvious mistakes, like go and yeah. buy an extra investment property or take on too much debt or buy you know, cars crypto. and these types of things. And was that crypto? <laughs> um, yeah, so maybe something like mm. that. Just overwhelmed, you seem to have made it this far and you seem to be on the right path. Like it's basically just learning from here and then discovering what is available to you and you're in a very good spot. Uh, and a lot of people would like to be in that. Okay, this is a good one. This, this is a good one. So, <clears throat> Halvin Karras, 80s born and 90s raised, says, I am attempting to build a small portfolio for my kids to inherit in about 20 years. Currently, I own some Wes Farmers, Technology One, Jumbo Interactive, and unfortunately, Interactive, is it interac- Integrated Research, right. which yep. is RI. I-R-I. <laughs> uh, keep in mind, I'm here for the long haul in brackets. Would I be smarter in picking up something like soul pads to spread my wings or hone in on West Farmers a bit more as it's a long-term, as its long-term growth is positive? Uh, love listening to the podcast and a big shout out to the Kelvin Harris reference last week. Well, this is what you came for. <laughs> what was the reference? I think oh, it was another question. It. I think oh, it was okay. a... Qu- so yeah. this is a question a commenting on another question. <laughs> or maybe it was yours. I don't know. I barely anyway, know who Kelvin Harris is. Yeah, so I've, pre-pre- <laughs> I've pre-prepared something for this question, which is, do you have any strategy? It goes back to the same thing that we spoke about before. You know, I get the feels that you might not have clarified a few things. So let me break it down to you from the outside and tell you my way of thinking about this, which is that, to be honest, uh, and you might get sweet nothing from this, other, other people might though, so just as an FYI, 20 years is a long time. So... Um, you know, I would just say if I'm investing for 20 years, I'd go for the most anti-fragile strategy that I can. So what they mean by that is things that can't break. So something that grows sustainably just just won't break. So owning four stocks in a portfolio for me is like- Breakable. That's, that's breakable. I mean, you could have, not saying anything about any of those companies, but I think the chances on markets of the two of them don't exist in oh, yeah. 20 years. Well, technology one is like an ERP system, like brilliant business, should be around, but maybe not. Jumbo Interactive does lotteries. Yeah. Like, that might not be around. But it's like you look at Kodak, or not comparing any of these to those companies, but <laughs> 20 Kodak. years is a long time in yeah, yeah. markets. Absolutely. And uh, tax is a slow killer over 20 years. So you make sure that this, this, the strategy, and this goes for myself, it's more of a lesson to myself, is make sure the tax slippage is low because ETFs can be good, but if they have high turnover, trust structure, Drew, which you just mentioned, means that a a, a trust or an ETF can stream tax liabilities back to you yep. without your control. Another silent killer is the fees. I wouldn't use too many licks for this reason, low-cost ETFs. I would be cons- I would consider the conglomerates with, with like the long-term capable management team. So I, I, I always sound like I'm like a broken record on Solpats, but it is an, it's an example of an Australian version. West Farmers, Solpats, there are a few others that kind of build this conglomerate style business where it can't really break because they're kind of evolving with the time slowly. Yeah. And so after you've done that, you've make it so your portfolio can't break. You've 
defined your strategy, you've been mindful of tax, you've been mindful of fees, and then you basically just have to pray to God and keep rolling. <laughs> of course. <laughs> I kind of, I mean, I, I'd broadly say look for more diversification, whether that's what you're doing in, you know, West Farmers, which is itself diversified, or Soul Pats, or pray to God, he, he's bolding, pray to God as we, <laughs> as we speak. Uh, and I, th- I think good, you want more diversification because that means you're less fragile, as you're saying, and less likely to break, and less, you know, less linked to the trend of the day yeah. is, is what I'd say. Um, and I, we talked about Kodak, not comparing these to Kodak, but the broader <laughs> your exposure, the better. <laughs> the, are you going to put me on the on the uh, <laughs> yeah. gif on the front of the episode, aren't you? <laughs> but when you're starting with a smaller amount of capital, the broader you get, the better. So I think you're just plugging away and adding some more and more stocks. So I'd probably say don't don't just think about West Farmers. Look at more and more and more, and yeah. and add it that way, whether it's an ETF or just further diversification a lot of people do direct stocks because it's tax efficient you just buy them and then you only pay tax on the the yield that you receive it's very clean um but you can and you can just do direct stocks right so as in you can just build a portfolio that you don't need to use etfs you don't need to use licks and all that sort of stuff a good question comes in from max the guard dog of glasgow hey guys Keen for your thoughts on how margin loan, oh my gosh, in a boring ETF portfolio like VAS or IVV, etc., compares with a home loan for an investment property as a long-term investment. Uh, let's say I fully offset my principal place of residence and I'm working full-time at a decent marginal tax rate. I know the margin loan rates are higher, but avoiding the hassles of stamp duty, property managed rates, tenants, etc., etc., are attractive advantages indeed. What would you go for, particularly in the current property market with rising rates? Many thanks. Can't give you personal advice. Speak to your mortgage broker and accountant and advisor, but Drew? I, I mean, just broadly, property gives you more leverage if that's what you want. You know, you can well, that's it, yeah. get five times Bank, your leverage. Banks will give it to you. And less volatility. Margin loans, we don't do. We don't have a credit license. So, yep. But historically, margin loans have been higher cost. Uh, and they're directly linked to what's happening in the market. So whether they allow you to remove the emotion from investing, they probably exacerbate the emotion. Um, So it's really about how much leverage do you want? Uh, And in other ways, like what people have done is buy the property and then debt recycle and use that without a margin loan to invest into equities. In other words, (laughs) you can use your principal place of residence, so your home as as security. security for a loan it's otherwise known as the line of credit to then invest. Yeah. And you don't have the margin call and typically the rates are lower yep. and typically they may be interest deductible. Exactly. So that's the most, I, I would say that's the most common strategy I see for long-term investors. Yeah, and it, it helps because you're not linking the, the loan directly to your investments. You, you're less likely to make decisions. And I guess for both of these, the important thing is you're leveraging, you're borrowing. That's a long-term strategy. You're setting yourself up on a, seven to 10 to 15 year investment yeah you can't you, you you risk losing money if you change your mind yeah absolutely so uh that's a great question we get that a lot um we should like pre-record that answer and then, <laughs> um, but that's a good question because it's on people's mind particularly now a lot of people are thinking well volatile markets i've got a bit of equity in my home can i use this i don't want to buy another property uh hashtag don't want to End up in U.S. prison. End up in U.S. prison. Hey, hey, I bought some ResMed shares from the ASX. Received a letter today saying, Dear CDI shareholder, please review if you need a W8 Ben form. What does this mean? I thought I bought off the ASX. I wouldn't be filling out these U.S. forms. What happens if I don't fill out the form? So a CDI, 
um, is a chess depository interest, as far as I'm aware. Exactly. Uh, which means that it's basically like the the company sets aside some shares in the US and ties them to Australia and says, you can trade these CDIs in Australia as if they are like actual shares. So there's like a right that goes back. And so it's actually a US company, but you can buy it here in Australia. If you don't f- fill out the form, you might have to pay extra tax because the form simply reduces the withholding tax because it's a tax treaty between Australia and the US. Exactly. It's just an IRS identification form. Whenever you say IRS, people people <laughs> freak out. But you know, sometimes it's a managed fund that you're investing into the US or um, at least it's not a W8 Ben E where you have a super fund or a family trust because that's another kettle of fish. Yeah, uh, but yeah, you just need to complete it. They're pretty good online. I think it's boardroom or whoever issues them. Um, they're quite easy to do once you're online. Um, yeah, and you just have to do it. Otherwise, you can get fat ta- foreign tax credits, or you just have more tax withheld. Yeah, your um, broker can help you. It's really complex self wealth. They have a form on their website, or they yeah. just give you instructions. But you won't end up in prison. No, don't go to prison. There's a general rule. So we're going to be quick with these next questions, Drew. We're going to try and boom, boom, boom. So I'm going to just like fire them out. Jolly Roger says, "What are your thoughts on commercial property values across Australia?" With interest rates marching ever higher, do you think there will be an inevitable devaluation of commercial assets? If you ask Jerry Harvey, maybe not, but you, Drew, what do you think? <laughs> I think there will be, but it's going to be incredibly dispersed or divergent across sectors, asset types, all that sort of thing. I think if, as a perfect example, you know, if you bought a, <clears throat> not if you bought, service uh, service stations, for instance, were selling at yield, so you could get an income of 3%, say two years ago, mm-hmm. you can now get 4% buying a term deposit, naturally- the value of that, you're obviously taking more risk owning a service service station than you are a term deposit. So naturally, you'd expect the yield from that service station to be more than a term deposit at some point, yep. uh, which means the value would have to go down. Fair enough. It's not that simple, but, that's but the, the you're talking question. about the risk-adjusted returns. I've actually never thought about buying a servo. Um, so, <laughs> closet <laughs> financial nerd. Yep. Wham, bam. Thank you, ma'am. Fellas, my wife and I are on the verge of fire with a plan to live off dividend income. Woo-hoo. A large chunk of the investments are in the Wilson Asset Licks. Wham, wax, wimmy. <laughs> There's a lot of questions left. <laughs> uh, yeah, there is. What is your outlook for Wilson Asset Management Links? Is the yield sustainable and can the share prices recover? Thanks, guys. Love your pods. P.S. Am I the only person to listen to financial pods whilst training at the gym? Certainly beats Eye of the Tiger to get fired up. So just a mini flex. <laughs> yeah. Also, I'm pretty jacked. So. <laughs> <laughs> like it. Um, so, yeah, I've, the licks uh, have, I think it's fair to say, I've struggled a bit recently. Yeah. Um, and Why, though? Well, investment performance, I'd say fees accumulate. Um, I haven't actually checked the discount. What is the, do you know what the discount is? Are these three, I mean, two of these three are small caps and micro caps. Yeah, there you go. And you're, you're talking about companies that are feeling the heat from the economy at the moment. Well, the WAM one's the biggest one, and that does rely on, in, I guess, the catalyst type investing from small, mid to large. Exactly. Yeah. So, um, would you, we, well, I guess this goes back to the question before, where we would probably just, I'd say you can have it in a portfolio, but the preference for pure equity portfolio, uh, equity exposure, if we were starting from scratch as an ETF, I guess it's probably fair to say. Yeah, and you'd, I'd just say if, you, if you're if you wondering what to do, you'd probably just be looking to m- get more diversification away from, it's very narrow focus. Yeah. In, if you've got a lot in, in those, they're, they're obviously Jeff Wilson, I saw him on Flinders Lane. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, uh, the other day as well. I think it was on a... Taking a phone call, probably taking over another lick. Um, <laughs> hi, Jeff. 
<laughs> but uh, oh, you've interviewed him too, so hopefully, yeah. Hope he's not listening. <laughs> I don't think there's any anything wrong with him. Uh, I think if you if that's the big part of your portfolio, I'd be looking. How do you get some diversification? How do you just get a broad market exposure? Maybe it's global. Maybe it's domestic as well, uh, yeah. and have a more exposure to other parts of the economy than just the smaller micro companies where they're very focused. Yep. Good one. Really quick one, Drew, from Crypto, otherwise known as Crypto. Can I have one hint, so holder identification number with two different brokers? Say, for example, if I have Perler and Comsec, do I... I believe it's a hard no because a hint is attached to a PID, Ooh. which <laughs> a PID is like the broker number. Yeah. And I think you're pretty sure a hint can only be attached to one broker number. Okay. Yeah. Because it's essentially, a, or what a hint is, is a broker-sponsored yeah, sponsored. account. So, it can only be attached to one broker. Yeah, right. Okay. Uh, so... I've already answered that one. Uh, da, da, da. So, no idea. <laughs> no, Mr. No Idea, but it's spelled I with E-Y-E. These always get me. I'm the worst at doing this. So, would be amazing to hear your thoughts on POS and CXO. Love, Cal. Uh, POS, I don't know. Is that... I, I thought it was PLS, but it's POS. Well, POS. <laughs> okay. So, CXO <laughs> is called Lithium. Uh, is a business that obviously is involved in lithium. Uh, I would just say this. Poseidon Nickel. Poseidon Nickel. Make sure any of these more speculative businesses, even if they have large market capitalizations, are segregated somewhere else. And that is the key thing to keep in mind. Mining companies, even if they have a good run-up in share price, you should always treat carefully and maintain your diversified portfolio. Over the next 30 years... My personal belief is that most investors will make the vast majority of their wealth through their core portfolio, uh, and that's just where I'd focus most of my attention. That's it. Uh, okay, so we've got two more questions, Drew. We're going to hit. We're going to just slam straight into an hour here. So thank you for hanging with us. We've got two more. Is this uh, it's Andrew- a dad joke coming to? Oh yes. Then we've got the the, <laughs> the the finale, which every every week we're making this tradition. Uh, Andrew. Dara myth, spelt with like a myth, uh, gave his chimney away for free, dot, 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 it was on the house. It's a good one. Okay. I like it. Do we have a winner? I feel like there's a winner. Yeah. Took the, what we said well, took what we said last week and then took the, brought it into this week. That was Owen punching a camera. I just punched a camera. <laughs> um, anyway. It wasn't a journalist. There was a camera. <laughs> Finfluencer. <laughs> <laughs> So, <laughs> the camera didn't call you a fence for it. So. Curious on your thoughts, read the difference in investing in super directly via ETFs, think like Hope Plus, versus a super fund investing on my behalf. You know, put this insurance aside. There's a big asterisk there. We don't say, you know, always check your insurance. Uh, looking at the fees for a pretty generic ASX 300 investment often with uni super, it's 0.37%. And with Host Plus, I could go with VAS for 0.1%. I can't see uh, Alpha Scope looking at the Unisuper. So basically, they're asking, can you just pick an index fund in your super fund rather than going on their premix options, which is like growth, defensive, et cetera? For quite a few, the member direct option you can. And uh, I think it's, from my understanding, it can be more expensive sometimes because of the additional admin, um, admin around it. Yep. But I just check on each fund yep. whether that's possible. And I th- there's an interesting, I mean, the benefit of being in uh, one of the, the normal option is that you're getting exposure to like the airports and the other things that they might hold. Whereas if, you, if you're if you doing the other, obviously they come at a cost. You, you're just getting a, a market yeah. equity exposure. 
Um, and interesting that you know your the legislation that came in two or three years ago, your future, your super is essentially forcing super funds to be very benchmark focused mm. and aware anyway. So, uh, I, my understanding is it's usually a bit more expensive to do it, the ETF direct option. Yeah, um, it can depend. It can, yeah. They can charge a broker. Oh, you're using fee. my words. Yep. Well, I, it can depend. <laughs> I wouldn't dare go near the, it depends. Um, but okay, so yeah. So if, just to clear up what's going on here. So you can have a big super fund like Aussie Super, Host Plus, Unisuper, and you can do this something called Member Direct, which is where you can have more control. So instead of just picking growth, conservative, balanced, whatever, you can say 100% Aussie shares, 50% Aussie shares, 20% global, 30% bonds, whatever you want to do. Uh, and that effectively enables you to just do your own option. But then they also have the ability to buy things like the ASX 300 you can, for yeah. example, invest in. Uh, and you can do that. And there's a brokerage fee and there's a few other fees that come with it. So just check out those fees. I think it's actually a good halfway between wanting to have complete control in an SMSF while, but wanting the simplicity of a major fund. So I think it's reasonable. And I just think more funds should embrace index investing. So um, that's what I would say. Uh, and final question, Drew. Mr. Don't. Meredith. <laughs> Good. Philly says, <laughs> Ahoy, lads. Love your podcast and the bands between everyone on the show. I wanted to touch upon a question I believe Drew answered where another listener had asked whether they should pay off their mortgage or invest. And the general answer was that if you pay off non-deductible debt, you would be able to lock in a certain saving. What I wanted to ask about was when you weigh up compound interest and growth versus paying off a mortgage at these higher rates, how do you propose someone even start investing? Because on that premise, wouldn't any disposable income go towards paying off the mortgage? So you wouldn't have much anyway to be investing in VAS and VGS, et cetera, or even blue chips. I'm feeling a bit deflated after that podcast because I always kept thinking I should be investing paycheck to paycheck, but then my mortgage appears to be never ending anyway. So how does someone get ahead? I think it's a super relevant question now that I interest rates are going up. Question. Yeah. yeah. Well, interest rates are going higher. So I think more and more people are prioritizing paying down their debt because the, I mean, it was, it was when interest rates or your mortgage was 2%, yeah. It made complete sense to be investing more into equities. But my mortgage is like, I just saw 7% minus a discount. It's like 5.5%. What? 7%? That was the variable rate minus the discount. Yes. And that's when you that's when you think, well, I need a 10% return to warrant the opposite. I'm not saying rates will be here forever, but I'm a super conservative in, in my business and then in my own money that I'll just focus on. That's a guaranteed return. You know, compounding is prospective. Yeah, looking forward is the right <laughs> word. Yeah. Uh, yep. And compounding is that you're also compounding the value of your house by reducing the debt on it as well, if that makes sense. And, com and you reverse compounding the interest because you're paying less interest over time. Yeah. So it's probably not, people don't necessarily consider that in their modeling at the same time. Yeah, so basically if you were to look at a chart of compounding, it looks like it goes bottom left and then it hits this kind of like just exponential growth curve. But if you look at... Uh, the reverse of that is like it looks like it's flat to start and then it goes straight down. Um, basically, what you're you're looking at is you're looking at compounding in reverse. So, you're looking at accumulated interest paid to the bank over time. And so, that's what, what a mortgage is. It's just compounding against you. So, to Drew's point, you're actually saving more by not, you know, investing and you're paying off your mortgage. But what I would say is this is deflating. This is deflating feeling. 
So you have a few options. One, try to earn more. And I know this is very brutal advice, but try to earn more. And then keep your costs low and use that extra money to either pay off the loan or go and invest. Number two, you can invest a little bit of money. Not everything we have to do as investors has to be rational. And, you know, we talked about this on the show with Morgan Housel. Try to be reasonable, not rational. If you want to invest and you want to put those skills to work, do that. You don't have to do all of the thing that looks good in a spreadsheet all of the time. Exactly. Uh, otherwise, we'd never go out, we'd never spend any money, we'd never do anything. So do the thing that brings you happiness while also investing sensibly for the long term. And I think that's the key thing. We want to leave you feeling optimistic about the future because investing can actually be a great thing. And even in times of uncertainty where maybe it's not as rational, maybe there is scope that you know interest rates do slow and maybe it is worth buying that stock or that ETF that you thought was undervalued and you always have super too you which you forget about super's your money you can control that if you want to and if that. and that's compounding that's the whole point of superannuation is that you're compounding yeah, to fund your own savings, retirement yeah. at the same time yeah although there is a cap or well, not a cap there's a tax <laughs> there's a tax so don't put too it's much in tax. or maybe do put some in but don't put too much in okay that was a fantastic <laughs> question from philly uh philly i'm going to give you an award for that you get the the value investor program so you can learn at least i don't want you to feel deflated ever when you listen to one of these podcasts we want to leave you feeling more optimistic at ras that's our whole uh stick so please philly Send in, uh, get, get in contact. We'll give you the Value Investor Program for free, which is on special at the moment, Drew, with the coupon code MATES. It's only three ninety nine. And Andrew Deramith, who uh, wrote in about the chimneys, uh, you can also, you are, submitted a wonderful question. Please send your questions. There's a link in the show notes. We need more for next week. I was in charge of curating this week's questions, and clearly we had too many. <laughs> so I will not be in charge next week. Uh, but I just want to help as many people as we can. So ask your questions. And uh, we'll try and get to them. But in the meantime, we are going to cross back down to the street. We've got Andrew Derrimuth. He's going to send us off with one of his best jokes of 2023. Again, credit to Dad Says Jokes. Dad Says Jokes. What did Spartacus say when the lion ate his wife? Nothing. He was gladiator. Well, Drew, I mean, it's only upwards from here, and that's positive. So, um, until next week, mate, you can get in contact with Drew Meredith uh, at Waddle Partners. There's a link in your podcast player right next to the one that says ask a question. You can get in contact with Drew and the team. There's a little form that you fill out there, and it sends info across to those guys. Uh, you can find me at Owen Rask on Twitter. Like I said, we do have a sale on at the moment until the 8th of March on the Value Investor Program, where I'll also be doing a webinar for people who join us on value investing and how you can value companies. And if you haven't already, we'd love it if you can just leave us a review or just give us, I think you give you like a five star or whatever. Yeah, I don't know how this works. Five. Definitely five. <laughs> this is true. Definitely five. Uh, yeah. If you like the show, let us know and share it with your friends. We've uh, had a lot of new folks come and join us in the last few months, and w- which is always humbling. So thank you. Until next week, Drew, thanks for joining me. It's good to see you. For more than a decade, I've been hunting for the best investors and their methods, strategies, and tools for investing. After years in the industry, countless books, a few degrees, and 1,000 podcasts and live shows, I've rolled this accumulated knowledge into something called Rask Invest. If you've ever heard me talk about a core and a satellite, active and passive, true long-term compounding, 
or you simply want to know exactly how I would invest, now is your chance. Rask Invest is our new investment service, designed for all types of investors who want professional management of their core portfolio at a low cost from a team they trust. Rask Invest helps you automate your wealth creation and passive income. Simply click the link that says Invest with Owen in your podcast player to join one of our live platform walkthroughs or book a call with us. You can also view the Rask Invest PDS and TMD and get invested with me.